0: Welcome, everybody. This is Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am the appropriately named Jake Novak, your host. For the next half hour, we are coming to you live here on this Monday, May 28th, Memorial Day here in the United States. And that's a topic I want to talk to all of you about today, because I think as Americans and many of you who are listening as Jews, this is a really important day in America that should be more than it is. And I think a lot of us can agree on that. And I'm going to get into the details of that. And really, the topic for this next half hour is going to be to discuss something that I think is actually unique. I I am, like many of you, very impressed with a lot of the things that the state of Israel has accomplished in the last 70 years, be it the technical success, the cultural success. uh, Frankly, the success of the food (laughs) is pretty popular with me. I think I would gain about 900 pounds if I lived in Israel full time. But one of the things, but there are not a tremendous amount of things because Israel is really a different kind of country, a different size country, in a different situation, certainly at a different stage of its of its uh, lifetime as a as a democracy and as a, a as a republic of its own making. Um, so it's in a different place, and and by that and and for that, I think the, the point of that is that Israel does not have a lot of direct lessons for the United States. Now I'm not talking about military and strategic lessons that it could teach them as far as what The enemies of the United States, the common enemies of the United States are. Um, Some of the economic lessons, potentially, there's something Israel can pass on. Although, frankly, I still think the United States has more to teach Israel when it comes to macroeconomic stuff. Entrepreneurial spirit, Israel's got that down. But as far as macroeconomic understanding and how to deal with unions and taxes, I think the United States is, is a little bit ahead. But this is one of the instances where I think Israel has quite a lot to teach the United States when it comes to the observance, and how we deal with Memorial Day here in the United States. Now, before I get into what Israel does on Memorial Day, and I know a lot of you know this already, but I want to get into some of the details, the core details, as far as how they relate to the United States, I want to talk a little bit about what we do here in the United States. Um, It's not like we do nothing. There are a lot of people listening today who will have parades in their town, who will have commemorations in their town. Of course, the national event that most of us will see at least a short video snippet of it is the President of the United States, today, of course, it will be President Donald Trump, but whoever the President is in any given year, goes to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington Nat- National Cemetery and lays a wreath at the Tomb of the un- Unknown Soldier, which, by the way, is probably going to be a tradition that ends, not the laying of the wreath and not the, not the recognition of the Unknown Soldier, but having with DNA testing and other technology, it's really questionable whether we will ever have Unknown Soldier remains to bury ever again. Uh, when and if we have wars and conflicts in this country, but that is another discussion. For those of you who have been to either that ceremony or just visited the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier on any day, it's open all the time uh, for visiting, at Arlington National Cemetery, you'll notice that it really is one of the few places in the United States where solemn behavior is required. I, I hope this hasn't happened to you, but this has happened to me. If you've ever been to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier with a group of people who are making noise, laughing, joking around, the, the the soldier who is guarding the tomb will stop in, you know, however he or she is marching up and down the tomb and admonish the crowd to be quiet and have some respect for the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's actually, you know, something that you don't want to be a part of if you see it, but when you do see it, and hopefully you're not the perpetrator, the person who's caused all the ruckus. It's it's a humbling experience and it's a memorable experience. And I'm glad I actually saw it in retrospect, again, during the moment when I was with a group of kids from my uh, junior high when it happened, and uh, I'd like to think I wasn't one of the people making noise, but I can not 100% say that uh, for sure. But I'm glad that I, was, that I saw that in retrospect because it was good to see that there is some very solemn respect for those we have lost in our wars. Um, but speaking about Memorial Day here on Novak Now and the Nelchem Siegel Network, besides those events, besides the laying of the wreath by the President of the United States, besides some parades here and there, This country, for the most part, not only doesn't really recognize Memorial Day, and I think in as a meaningful way as it should, but it also doesn't get it really quite clearly. Now, by that, I mean the conflation. People conflate in this country, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Now, far be it for me, Jake Novak, I would never tell anyone not to go around and thank a veteran, not to go around and thank an active duty soldier or sailor, pilot. I would never, ever say that. Do that as much as you possibly can. However, Memorial Day is not really about that. Memorial Day is not about thanking veterans who are alive or thanking soldiers who are still alive and in active duty. That's, not, that's what Veterans Day is for. So we conflate in this country, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Now, I can think of worse sins. <laughs> if that's the worst thing that you do on Memorial Day is you go around thanking a bunch of veterans and not thinking about the, those who have died in war, that's still pretty good. And I'll talk about that in a moment, why that's still a step beyond what most Americans really even think about or too many Americans don't even think about. But you know, it is different. There is a difference between Veterans Day, which is that is the day that we thank our veterans and try to recognize our veterans and celebrate them as living people in the modern, in, in the current present day, and Memorial Day when we're supposed to remember those who, who have literally died, who are no longer with us. Uh, to give you a really good current events example of that conflation and why it's important to not make that mistake, the member of SEAL Team Six who shot and killed Osama Bin Laden has been getting a lot of people in the last couple of days t- telling him, hey, thanks for being a veteran. You're a great hero. For Memorial Day, I want to thank you. And he has been telling them, please, don't recognize me on Memorial Day. This is a guy who had friends and and more than friends. I mean, it becomes like a family when you're in a unit in the military. Had friends and, and, and virtual family members die in America's wars and conflicts. And he knows that this is the day to recognize them, not those who survive." again we always thank those who survive this is not a question this is not about not thanking somebody but this is about really pinpointing what our thanks are supposed to be about in this country and our thanks and our recognition today is about all the people who have died in this country fighting our wars and conflicts and that's an important important distinct, distinction to make we have to make that clear now i believe that this Mistake that people are making is coming from two places. One, it's coming from the very good place of just wanting to thank somebody. I mean, look, how many of us can go and make a meaningful thank you to someone who's passed away? You can't really do that. You can make a memorial, you can talk about it with other people, but you want to pass on your thanks to someone who's already gone. Look, you don't even need to be, you don't need to be the survivor of a, of a war veteran to, to know how hard that is. So I think most of it is coming from a good place. But I also think it's coming from a place of Sadly, a bit of ignorance. And here's what I mean by that. There's a big part of this country, especially in our major cities and from an economic standpoint in the upper middle class to the higher, richer classes, and maybe even from the general old middle class if you're in a certain part of this country. There's a certain large portion of this country's population that really doesn't have a big connection with anyone who is either in the active duty military or ever was in the active duty military. You know, it's been a very long time in this country since we've had a military draft. President Nixon ended it in the early 70s. And the military draft in this country had a lot of problems with it. There is no denying that. And by the late 1970s, it was clear what a disaster President Nixon probably helped us to avoid because morale was extremely low in the military in those days even with the elimination of the draft. And it was already taking about 10, 11 years to get a more vigorous, strong volunteer force within our military. So it took a little while, but by the time we got to about the 12 or 11 year mark after President Nixon eliminated the military draft, the dream and the point of getting rid of the draft had finally started to become achieved, and that is we had a much better military. We had a better trained military, we had a better morale in the military, and we had a more effective military. And so when everything is said and done and you total up all the factors, the elimination of the military draft in the United States has been a positive for the United States military. There's no doubt about that. However, that does not mean it didn't come with some very, very steep trade-offs. I think the first deep trade-off that we had to give up, and, and it has been a tough one, has been the absolute place in society and place to go that the military gave so many of our young men, who even in this day and age, no matter what economic level they come from, there are so many of them who have seem to be so aimless. We've tried to sell the idea of four-year liberal arts colleges to every single man, woman, and child in this country as being the perfect pathway to any kind of career or personal success afterwards. And for a lot of people, it is. But for a tremendous amount of people, it is not. And for a tremendous amount of people, it certainly isn't at age 18. When we take a look at average private school college tuition in this country, we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars for a lot of, for a lot of families. Now, I know a lot of really great 17 and 18-year-olds. I don't know many of whom I would that Where I would bet a quarter of a million dollars on and give them that money right off the bat. Lord knows when I went to college almost 30 years ago, it'll be 30 years in September when I first entered college, I wasn't worth that kind of money. (laughs) I wasn't worth that kind of a bet. It took me a while to mature through college, and maybe I didn't even mature until after college. And I did fine. (laughs) Okay. And there are a lot of kids who don't do fine. And I say kids, I think. 40, 50 years ago, when we talked about college students, we talked about young men and women, and you don't really believe that anymore. So the draft took away a place for people to go if they weren't quite ready for college, if they weren't quite ready for adulthood, if they had, or if they'd never had a place in life at, at all. I believe that the underclass in this country from an economic standpoint, the poorest American men and women, have really lost something by not having the military draft there to either give them a place to go and get some training, without much of a choice because the draft deferments were really only available for people who were wealthier or were in college forever or could find some way to finagle their medical records. And I think it also gave them potentially a chance to grow up very quickly. Maybe a lot of them didn't want to go to the military and really were ready for um, a white collar type life or an entrepreneurial life. And knowing that it was the draft or that other choice, that kind of matured them. So we lost that in this country. But here's the other thing that we lost that gets us to The memorial day point that i want to make we lost in america the everyday connection that so many of us have with our veterans we don't have that anymore that is to say there was a time in this country not that long ago when everybody had somebody in their family who was either in the military or recently out of the military where everybody had somebody on their block who was in the military or had just been in the military, and by somebody, probably more than somebody, almost everyone had that in common. It was a unifying factor in this country, and a country that is now finding it harder and harder to unify over everything. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at the debate over the national anthem in the NFL and players kneeling or not kneeling. And, you know, for those of you who are wondering what my position on that is, of course, of course people have the right to protest a national anthem in this country. Of course that is an American right but it's not a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing because I think there are better ways to protest what apparently these NFL players are protesting, which is they believe unfairness at the hands of the police, which is certainly something worth discussing and certainly a factor and a truth in some parts of the country at any given time. But I also think that the police save more minority lives than take by far. I mean, it's not even close. That is not even a a debate. But whether multimillionaire millionaire NFL players should be the ones and choosing that particular moment to protest, I'm not in favor of, but do they have a right to do it? Yes, they do, they have a right to do it. But that just goes to show how incredibly split we are in this country. We can't even stand together for the national anthem anymore. And another thing that's been separating us for a very long time is this military issue. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. Many of you know I grew up, or I spent a lot of my childhood growing up in the American South, and one of the cities I lived in was Norfolk, Virginia, where the U.S. naval base is there. And that is really the biggest naval base in the world. It's the main point of operations for the United States Navy. Of course, also, there are major bases for the for the Navy in San Diego and at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. But Norfolk is a big place. And everybody on your block, when you live in Norfolk, is somehow connected to the Navy one way or the other for the most part. Uh, and it includes all communities. For example... One of the presidents of the synagogue that we were members of was an active duty captain in, in, the, in the U.S. Navy. I mean, he had some points of leave when he was on, in Africa, not out on, on, overseas. And that's when he was sort of presiding as president of the synagogue. Um, but my point is, is that the Navy and military life was really, really something that everyone saw all the time. And more importantly, and this is still true in most of the American South. Joining the military after high school or after college is not something that poor people do or people who don't have any direction in life do. It's a real serious career path that a lot of young men and women choose. And there's no shame in it. There's no, I didn't have any other choice, so I did this kind of reasoning behind it. It is a major, major way of life down there. I went to a very for lack of a better word, fancy prep school in Norfolk when I was a a young man. A school that was four years older than George Washington, difficult entrance exam, faculty that was smart as a whip and could have been teaching at any university. And a lot of that graduating high school class went on to the Navy. These were kids who could have gotten into University of Virginia, University of North Carolina, I don't know how many of them were Ivy League character uh, equality, but certainly a lot of them were. I think a a good number of them were. And they went on to Navy careers. They went on either to the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, or they found a way to get into some kind of officer's training program and went into the military. So it's a real way of life in other parts of the country. Now, contrast that to New York City. Now, there are plenty of people in New York City who joined the military, but you'll see the number of them who are from Manhattan or from higher earning households is extremely low. When you take a look at Veterans Day or Memorial Day snippets that they show on some of the news channels where people who are serving in active duty say hello to their family back in the United States, if they're from New York, it's usually someone from a poor neighborhood in Brooklyn and Queens. Sadly, here in New York City, people who go into the military, especially if they go straight out of high school, it is considered to be a last ditch, you had no other choice type of career. And I know a lot of you listening are going to say, oh, that's not true. I don't believe that. But frankly, that is the way so many people in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and San Francisco think about our military, no matter what they say. And there are so many sad examples of this. I almost hesitate to go through it. But there was a very famous case of an editorial writer in the Los Angeles Times at the height of the last Gulf War who talked about this disconnect between the way he had brought he had been he had been living and been brought up and military folks and he came out with which was a really rough to read editorial where he talked about how you know what we've been hearing this thing in America about how we're supposed to be against the war in Iraq if you're a liberal but support the troops and he said you know I'm sick of that I can't support the troops anymore I don't I don't respect them I don't like them I think that they're making a terrible mistake and I don't support the troops and as horrible as that editorial was I was grateful for it because it was finally a piece of honesty from the American left. I'm not saying all liberals don't support the troops, don't get me wrong. But if you look at the way that they talk about the military, if you look at the way Hollywood depicts people in the military, nine times out of 10, it is not with respect, it is not with love, and most importantly, it is not with understanding. Again, I'm Jake Novak. This is Novak Now here on the Naughton Siegel Network. We're doing a live program here for Memorial Day because I wanna talk about what Israel can teach the United States about Memorial Day. one more thing I want to talk about the United States before I get to the Israel aspect of this. In February, you might remember President Donald Trump announced that he wanted to put together a national military parade, probably on July 4th, to honor our military. And the hue and cry that went up from the anti-Trump movement in this country and from a lot of other people about that was really deafening. You heard the president compared to fascists. You heard the president compared to Mussolini. You heard you talked about there was all kinds of comparisons to the military parades the Soviet Union used to have where they would literally roll out nuclear uh, missiles on the streets of Moscow. And people going nuts about it. And I wrote an editorial at the time talking about how it wasn't a bad idea. I like the idea of a military parade provided it wasn't flanked with military you know nuclear missiles. heavy tanks or more weapons than people. And I mentioned something that surprised a lot of people. If you recall, the president had visited the Bastille Day celebrations the previous year in France, and he had been impressed by the Bastille Day Parade, and he wanted to bring something like that to the United States. And when everyone was going crazy and jumping on Donald Trump's back about this, I wondered if anyone had actually bothered to watch the video of the Bastille Day Parade. Well, I did. It's available. You can go online and find it. It's really not hard. Um, It can be a little boring at times, but you go watch it. And I was really, really impressed because every single second of the Bastille Day Parade was about and for the active duty soldiers and the veterans. It was not a sign, a show of, of might. There weren't a lot of weapons. There were a, the most you could say was weapon like were the half track tanks, these are like the mini tanks that came out. And, and when they were rolling out, a French soldier was hanging out of them very prominently. You know, really the only word I can really use, phrase I can use really is a Hebrew phrase. It was a tremendous hakarat hatov. It was the entire French people, or at least the people of Paris, making face to face contact with as many veterans and active duty soldiers as possible on a given day. And it was really nice. And if that's what we do here in the United States, then it's long, long overdue. Well, anyway, after I wrote that editorial, I was invited to come on to National Public Radio in Chicago's affiliate, WBEZ. And they set me up, boy. They put me up against a guest who was not only a veteran, but a military scholar. And they had about 10 callers in the queue to beat the the heck out of me. And I made my point right off the bat. I said, look, I'm not a veteran but I've lived in parts in this country that, where veterans are recognized and respected. And I've lived in parts of this country where veterans are, rec- are not recognized and not respected. And I have to tell you, a parade like this is long overdue in America. We need it. There is a tremendous disconnect in this country between those who are not in the military and those who are. And that didn't used to be the case in this country. There was always a strong connection with the military in this country because of the draft and because of other changes in American society that's gone. And I have to tell you, It wasn't a magic wand or anything that I waved, but by the end of the show, the opposing guests that they had booked and the callers had agreed with me. And the opposing guest even said something along the lines of, you know what, Jake is right. This could help recruiting. This could help change the way people look at the military. So let me talk about what they do in Israel. I'm sure a lot of you know what they do on Israel on Memorial Day. First off, I think the most moving thing that you can see in modern society today, if there's something more moving, I don't know what it is, is when they sound that nationwide alarm and everything just stops in Israel, including busy traffic on the highway. We've all seen that video, or I hope if you haven't seen it, just Google it, Israel Memorial Day siren highway. You'll find it on Google, no problem. Where speeding cars on the highway suddenly stop, pull over, and people get out of their cars and stand at attention for however long that siren goes. It's an amazingly moving moment, one that even even Hollywood, even Hollywood about 20 years ago had to recognize. There was an episode of the West Wing where they describe it. You know, um, One of the many instances in the West Wing where they described something and showed respect for something that in real life, those same people who put together that show don't show, considering how they vote and how they, you know, their political leanings. But I give them credit for having wonderful, uh, poetic and artistic license there. So that's one thing that happens. But, you know, there are other things that happen in Israel that are so darn important for Memorial Day that I wish in some way, shape or form we would copy here in the United States. Again, in Israel, they really know the difference between a Memorial Day and a Veterans Day. In Israel, because everyone is drafted, it would be very silly to have people go thank veterans on Memorial Day, because every one of those veterans pretty much knows someone who was killed in a war or military action. So what the Israeli military does is it has all of its soldiers, basically as many as possible, stationed at a grave of a fallen soldier. I just read a wonderful short essay by the son of one of my high school classmates, woman I went to high school with, really wonderful woman with a wonderful family, and her oldest son is now serving in the Israeli military. And on Israeli Memorial Day, he was assigned to guard or to be at a, the grave of a soldier who died in the Yom Kippur War. And unlike the American soldier who stands at attention at the Tomb of the Un- Unknown Soldier, the orders for the Israeli troops who are standing at at these graves is not to stand at attention and to not be silent. It's to, if the family wants to, if the family visiting that grave is is interested in, in being engaged, to engage with them and talk with them. And that's exactly what this young man did. And he met a very nice family, and they cried together and talked together. And what a moving story it was. I mean, it's hard not to tear up just to even think about it. Now, here in the United States, we've had a lot of war dead over the years, but. Again, as an example of that disconnect, I'm pretty sure that if you walk down the street in America and asked anyone, for example, how many American troops, within rounding it, rounded it out to the nearest hundred thousand, how many American troops died in World War II, do any of you know? The answer is 407,000. I'm sure nine out of the ten people you ask won't even come close. How many American troops died in Vietnam? You know, there was a time in this country when the Vietnam War was really in the forefront of our minds. After the war, of course. During the 1980s, when you had a lot of Vietnam War movies, it's possible you would have had three or four people get out of 10 get the right answer of 59,000 or so. But yeah, about 59,000 soldiers died in the Vietnam War. We had half a million troops, if you count both the North and the South, die in the Civil War. You know, the list goes on and on. And how many Americans would know is really got to be less than 1% of the people that you ask. It's sad, but true. You go to Israel, and you ask any cab driver or any person on the street who isn't a fellow tourist, how many Israelis have died since the War of Independence in Israeli military conflicts and military actions and combat. And they'll all tell you it's about 26,000. They'll give you a more exact number. They'll have the more exact number for you, but it's about 26,000. And they all know the number. And that is really, if there's anything that can be said positively about the Israeli people and their connection to the military. And it's not just because of the draft. It's not just because everyone is drafted in Israel. It's because the country respects its fallen war dead. It's very simple. And in this country, while I think that we have that feeling, we are not asked to do more than really nothing. We're not asked to do anything. Only the president and a small number of people relatively need to go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier on, on Memorial Day. Only the few of us who want to be part of a parade, if you're maybe a municipal worker and you've got to be on duty to help that parade go on in whatever town you live in. Have to do it. One of the things that I've noticed about this country, especially ever since 9-11, is how little the politicians think of the people. The politicians in this country from both parties are convinced that the American people don't wanna do a damn thing, that the American people won't support any kind of sacrifice, that the American people won't take any time out that if an American president or a senator or your governor asked you to have a moment of silence and to sound an alarm and to maybe close the shopping mall for a few hours today, they're convinced that there'll be some kind of revolt in this country. I'm similarly convinced that President George W. Bush thought that if he had asked the American people to conserve gasoline after 9-11 until we could find new sources of oil, which turned out to be quite abundant in this country, it really only took a few years before they figured out hydraulic fracking and all that other stuff that we've seen in the last few years that has made America the number one producer of oil now in the whole world. Who would have thought that a few years ago, right? That, of course, has happened. And with that, we have found ourselves in a situation where we really could have conserved. We could have conserved in this country, and we didn't. The country doesn't ask much of us. Israel asks its active-duty military to take this day off, not to be thanked on Memorial Day, but to help the families remember their lost loved ones. And it helps other people remember all the time. And it it is a solemn day in Israel, and it really should be a solemn day here in the United States as well. I can't really say more about that because it's just... it's. It's so, it's so much an important thing, and I do believe that the American people want to do this. For those of you who think that people won't take the time off from the mall or time off from the beach, you're wrong. You either haven't lived in as much of the country as I have, or you haven't paid enough attention to where you are living. Remember, Memorial Day weekend isn't just one day. It's a whole weekend. For those of us who want to do the beach and want to do the shopping, we've got Saturday and we've got Sunday and a lot of Friday, from what I understand. <laughs> And, you know, finally, to me, as I wrap this up here on Memorial Day, here on Novak Now on the Nahum Siegel Network, I want to talk about why this difference is such a big reason why so many American Jews want to make Aliyah. You know, we, we write it off a lot of us, even those of us who are very supportive of Israel as being a, a religious thing. We want to be in Israel so that we can be with other Jews and it's easier for us to pray and keep kosher and all that I believe is true. But I think the real thing that really attracts Jews and, and certainly attracts other non-Jews who are Zionists, to Israel, and the idea of Israel is, to use a cliche from from our society, it's the purpose-driven life. The purpose-driven life. And Memorial Day in Israel has a purpose. In the United States, it doesn't. And that's not the people's fault. That's the politicians' fault. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. Have a meaningful Memorial Day. I'll speak to you next week.